Thank you. Good morning. Well, good morning. It'll soon be afternoon. All right. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob and Lori will be gone for the next uh, few weeks, and um, we pray that they will be refreshed, renewed in their hearts and their spirit and in their bodies. Um, so we're looking forward to how God is going to use this time uh, for them to just uh, spend time with him. And, and um, so pray for them, lift them up in your prayers, and, and uh, just ask the Lord to minister to their hearts and their lives. Thank you, TJ, and the worship team for that awesome worship time this morning. That was good, wasn't it? Amen. As they're singing some of the lyrics in their songs, I was going, yeah, that's going to be in the sermon. That's how God works and uh, how he blesses uh, as we come together. I'm thankful that uh, I'm here, too. It's always an uh, just an awesome opportunity to be able to stand here in the pulpit and to share God's word with, with the church this morning. And I'll, I'm also thankful to be able to pastor alongside of uh, Pastor Bob and, and uh, the staff. And so uh, I thank Pastor Bob for allowing me this time to, to be able to share. Two things that I need to just let you know, if, if you've never heard me preach before, or, um, just to help you out a little bit, and that'll help me out as, as well. And that is, um, if you so feel led to say amen, that's all right. You can do that. Thank you. <clears throat> You're catching on really quick. And sometimes you might have to say, oh my, instead of Amen. And then on some occasions, you may be like Kay and have to say, Lord, help him. <laughs> That's uh, more frequent than you think as well. But uh, I just want you to allow the Spirit to just lead and move in your heart and in your life today. Thankful for those who are here in the sanctuary and those who are watching online. And, and uh, if any of my family are watching online, I'm Love you, and thank you for, uh, for being here today. Uh, the other thing I want you to realize today is that the Lord has laid a message on my heart, but I'm not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. And I know that in all of our lives, with all of the different things that are going on in each of us and everything, that he may speak a message to you that has nothing to do with the message that I'm preaching. So I would just encourage you to just allow the Lord to speak to you, be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and just listen to him. And then not just listen, but be obedient to his prompting, his voice in your life. Because he desires to work in all of us this morning. That's a good place for an amen. He desires to work in all of our hearts and all of our lives this morning. 
I, I thought last Sunday's services were amazing as we celebrated our freedom and then acknowledged and celebrated those who have sacrificed so much for our country, the freedom that we have, the freedom that TJ mentioned already, to be able to gather together and to worship God and, and to not fear persecution. And, and um, I hope that we always remember that that can be taken away from us at any time. Even in this country, that can be taken away from us. So I enjoyed that time last week, and I just wanted to tag on a couple of things to what was shared last week. We were at our national convention in Denver a couple of weeks ago, and, and after the convention was over, Kay and I went to Fort Logan National Cemetery. If you've ever been to a national cemetery, it's, it's just something that is just takes your breath away as you see the, the headstones of, of those that have served and given and even sacrificed their own lives so that we might have the freedoms that we have. And, and we were there to visit the graves of her parents. My father-in-law served in the army at the end of World War II, and, and so they are buried there and and it just always takes my breath away any time that I'm in a national cemetery or do a service uh, in a cemetery that uh, honors the veterans and those that have given their lives. And my brother is even buried in a national cemetery in eastern Pennsylvania as well. And it makes me realize and reminds me that it is only by God's grace that he has allowed me to be born in this country and to be able to grow up in this country. I don't know if I can get any agreement in that or, or what, but it is God's grace that I am where I am and that he's allowed me to live where I live. And the thing that I want you to understand about this, and it's for all of us as well, is that when God gives us that grace, the grace that has saved us, the grace that has allowed us to live in this country, he does that for a reason. You see, we can't take that grace for granted or we can't lessen the immensity of that grace, but we are to live that grace out in serving him living for him. I heard this statistic several years ago, and I heard it again mentioned at our convention this year, that all of us in this room, no matter our economic status, no matter how hard things are financially for us or where we may find ourselves, all of us in this room live above 99% of those in the world. 99% of those in the world live less than what we do. And that just kind of blows my mind when you think that in America there are 3.4 million people that live in America. 
and all Americans live above the rest of the world, the seven billion people that are in the world, we live above the rest of the world. And that should remind us and challenge us that to much, who have been given much, much more is required. What do I mean by that? I mean that because we have been given this grace, that we have been privileged to live in this country, it means that God expects us and expects this church and God's believers to go into all the world and share that same grace, the grace of his son who sacrificed himself to bring them to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And I'm afraid that as a country and even as a church, we are losing our focus in that message and in that purpose. We're losing our focus. As I've traveled in a few different countries, I'm always thankful to be able to come back to the United States. Since 2005, while I was pastoring in Hutchison, almost yearly, we would go into Mexico. And we would work in the poorest, most oppressed area of Juarez, Mexico. And there, alongside the missionaries of Gilberto and Maria Garcia, who felt God calling them from El Paso to cross the border and to go into Mexico and establish a Christian school in the most desperate area of that city. In fact, the homes around there are built with pallets and just anything that they can get their hands on and they can scrape together to have a place to live in. It's located near the landfill of the city of Juarez. And when you go into that area, I was just, I, I just had the hardest time adjusting to that the first, time, the first time I was there, just because of the smell that was in the area. And to be there. But I'm so thankful that God allowed us to be able to go and to work alongside Gilberto and Maria and to see what God is doing and giving those kids who would not be able to go to a public school because they wouldn't be able to afford it, but yet have an education. And not just have an education, but be able to learn about Jesus, to know who Jesus is. And it impacted not only these kids, but also their families as well. And I remember every Monday morning throughout the school year, they have a flag ceremony. And they dress in bright colors, and they honor the country where they live. And I'm thankful, and I think to myself, my, if something like that could only also happen in the United States as well, how different we would be. God requires us 
And we cannot neglect his word to us that we are to use the grace that we have been given to go into all the world and to share that grace. And I just want you to pray this prayer. Make this something a part of your life that says, Lord, lead me, help me to live out my faith through the measure of the grace that I've received. Will you do that? Amen. This, this, this morning, the title of my message is, How Did We Get Here? How did you get here? The longer that I live, the more I'm made aware of God's presence and his working in my life. So much to the point that I find myself being fo focused on what he is doing rather than what life is throwing at me. And we are all aware that life is going to happen. It's happening to you right now. It's happening to all of us. And in his providential care and with his knowing everything that goes on, we can live a life where we see and know and experience what God is doing and more importantly than, than that is who he is. We sing about it in the song Waymaker. There's the phrase that says, even though we can't see it, he's working. Even though we can't feel it, he's working, right? He never stops. He never stops. He never stops working. Isn't that right? And therefore, it matters to how we focus our attention and how we focus ourselves to the things around us in this life. This is true not only for our lives individually, but this is also true for our church. It applies to our church as well. In other words, nothing happens by accident. If you're here today or you're watching online, that's not an accident. All right? Now, you may, may be a, made to have been here today, but God knew and he planned that you would be here long before that. It's not an accident. So God desires for us to live according to his purpose in him. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning with verse 14, and I'm going to read the rest of chapter 6, and I'm going to go to the first verse of chapter 7. So follow along as I read. Don't continue to team up with unbelievers in mis mismatched alliances. For what partnership is there between righteousness and rebellion? Who could mingle light with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What friendship does God's temple 
have with demons. For indeed, we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. For this reason, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch nothing that is unclean, and I will embrace you. I will be a true father to you, and you will be my beloved sons and daughters, says the Lord Yahweh Almighty. Beloved ones, with promises like these, and because of our deepest respect and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Father, for the word, your son, Jesus, that came and brought it to life. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks to us. So, Father, my prayer is for all of us that we would have spiritual ears to hear, have a heart that is willing and open to allow you to work in our hearts and lives. We thank you, Jesus, and we give you all the praise. Amen. You may be seated. Look again at that first verse in chapter 7. Beloved ones, with promises like these, the promises that he's talking about is the verses that I read at the end of chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is taking those from the Old Testament scriptures, from the Old Testament scrolls that he was well-versed and well-learned at the feet of Gamaliel, his, his spiritual teacher of the Jewish law and the prophets, taken from the book of Leviticus, taken from the book of Isaiah, taken from the book of Ezekiel, and taken from the book of 2 Samuel. And he says, these are the promises that we have that have been given to us. And then, he says, because of our deepest respect and our worship of God. I want you to take a moment, I want you to just think about what Paul is saying. Out of our deepest respect, what does that mean? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We honor God. We exalt God. We acknowledge God for the supremacy of who he is. He is to be honored with our lives, 
with our mouths, with, and then he says with our worship, we are to exalt God, worship him. The word of God says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we come together, we lift up that praise. We are actually created in the purpose-driven life, Rick Warren says, that we were created to worship God. Our very existence, our very presence here is to live our lives in continual worship of God. I love the scripture in the, in the uh, Psalms where David, he, he says, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God. I mean, that means that I would just barely be able to get in, to be able to be among the people who worship and exalt God and give him praise than be outside the gate, outside the temple. And I wonder sometimes, are we that excited about coming to church and to worship, or do we just put up any little excuse not to gather together and worship him, and then when we do, then we're not living out our purpose or the reason why God created us. Is that understandable? Do you un- are you following me? We are created to worship God. And then he goes on and says, in order for that to happen, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit. Not just those things in the flesh, but also in the spirit as well. Our responsibility, our desire is to get rid of those things that would cause us or hinder us from being able to experience the presence of God and to know him as our father and to know Christ as our savior. And then he says, continue to complete the development of holiness within us. Now, as you read that, you think, well, Paul is putting all of that on us. No, he's not putting all of that on us because it's impossible for us to do what Paul is saying here. What he is saying is that we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to allow him, the work of the Holy Spirit, to do the cleanup, to do what's necessary in our lives so that we are vessels and temples of God. The first point that I want to share this morning is this. In the promises given, God says, I will restore you. I will restore you. Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead of myself. That's the second one. The first one is, I will make my residence in you. Did you hear the promise that I read? It says, I will make my home in you. It's just not, I'm going to just be near you or be close or whatever. He says, I'm going to be in you. And I think sometimes we miss the message of what God desires, and that is to dwell within this, in us. Paul says, you are the temple of God. And in the old sanctuary, 
the old temple that we saw built, God inhabited that temple and his glory came down and the glory of God filled the temple. Well, just like in the Old Testament, which was a a type and a foreshadowing of what God wanted to do in us, is that we are the temple of God, and God wants to dwell in us. He wants to fill us with his glory, and he wants us to be able to show who we are by the glory in our lives that it, it just illuminates those around us. Realize, church, God's desire from the very beginning of creation was to dwell in us. All right? Are you with me? In John chapter 1, verse 14, I love this. As it describes, it gives us how Jesus came into the world. And verse 14 says, the word being Jesus, became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into our lives. He came into the world so that we would know what it would be for him to live in us. And before he left this earth, he told his disciples, I must leave so that the Spirit, the Comforter, can come and dwell in you. And you read chapters 14, 15, and 16 in the Gospel of John, and he, 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 he just teaches us what that means for the Spirit to reside in us. The second point is, I will restore you, God says. I will restore you. Now, if you look up the word restore in the dictionary, there are several different definitions. But the two that I wanted to highlight and lift out is this, to bring back to a former and original condition, to bring back to a former and original condition. You know, when God made Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden, that was how God had created us, how God had made us, and how God designed us to be able to live with him. But then sin came in the world, and that relationship was broken. We were separated because of sin by God. And it went on to the point that said that, that even in birth, we are separated from God, that, that we need to understand and know that sin has separated us from God. But yet God's desire is for us to be restored to him to the former, to the original condition. Another definition, it says, is to bring back into existence. To bring back into existence. As one of the songs was being shared today, it talked about being dead in the grave. That's what sin does to us, right? It causes us to be dead. We're dead men walking without Christ. But yet God's desire is to bring back into existence. In other words, to bring us back to life again. And we only receive that life through Jesus Christ. 
He is the life giver. He is the life liver. And he is the life deliverer for us. We are alive again only because of Christ Jesus. And I hope you realize that. That those who are apart from Christ, they are dead. And they don't even realize until we are able to show them the existence that has been given back to us because of Christ Jesus. The Greek word to restore is the word kardartizo, which literally means to mend and furnish completely. This would have been a word that was used in daily vernacular of the uh, early um, people at Bible times. As they spoke Greek, this would have been a word that they would understand and know, to mend and to furnish completely. That's what God did in us when he restored us. He mended our brokenness, and then he furnished us with everything that we would need to live a life to please him to be able to live a life in this sinful world that we exist in, that we live in, God has furnished us with what we need to live a life that brings honor and glory to him. Aren't you thankful for that? Hallelujah. We can live and have everything that God has given to us to live a life in this world, a life a victory, a life of being overcomers, a life that is pleasing to him. And then the third thing is this. I will have an intimate relationship with you. I will have an intimate relationship with you. Moyer Hubbard describes this relationship in this way. Listen to what he says. It is an acceptance by God and the experience of God's fatherly presence. I love that statement. I mean, it just speaks volumes to what we have experienced and what we have. And it is an acceptance by God and the experience of God's fatherly presence. Don't believe the lies that you are too far gone, you've done way too many things wrong to be accepted by God. Don't believe that lie of the devil. God loves you. God wants nothing more than you to have an intimate relationship with him. And that's why he sent his son. That's why he loved the world to be able that we might know him and have that intimate relationship. It is an acceptance by God and the experience of God's fatherly presence. To know his presence, to know that he is with me every moment of every day. I am never alone. I am never lost. I am never without the presence of God in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then the last thing he says, the last promise, he says, I will redeem you. I will call you my redeemed. In the first chapter of the book of Hosea, we read that Hosea was told by God, instructed by God 
to marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer. And since this is July, I just thought it reminded me of my first pastorate in Broken Bow, Nebraska. And it was the middle of summer, and it was hot, and the church was air-conditioned. You know how they air-conditioned the church? They took out the back door, and they put a, a plywood, and then put a window unit in that plywood. And that's how they air-conditioned it. <clears throat> well, the church was still a good-sized building, would seat 120, 125 people or so, and so they would have fans to try to get the air to the sanctuary and then get the, you know what the farthest part of the building was from that air conditioner? The pulpit. <laughs> and that's when we were required back in those days to wear three-piece suits. Steve, you remember that? Yeah, back in the days. Thankfully, we don't have that requirement anymore. And I remember I was preaching about Hosea and God working in Hosea, and I was really getting to the point that I wanted to make, and I said, and Homer and Gomer? I don't remember what I said after that. I realized I had messed up big time. Homer and Gomer. It was Hosea and Gomer and the third child that they had, that Gomer, uh, <laughs> I'm going to mess up, <laughs> that Gomer and Homer had, <laughs> the third child, God said, you name that child Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami. That means God's not here. I'm not your God. You're not my child. Can you imagine that? But it was an illustration to the people of Israel that, you know what? You have turned away from me. You have left me. You have, you, you have just gotten away from me so much. I'm not your God. But thankfully, by the end of Hosea, it's not that way. And in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, the verse of Scripture says, I want you to show love. No, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. This is the Lord speaking to the people of God, to the Israelites. And he says, I want you to love me. I want you to know me. I, want you to, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your offerings. I want you. I love you. Respond to me, come to me, and love me, and let's share in this relationship together. Know me, know who I am, and I will let you, I, I, will, I will tell you, I will show you who I am, and I want this more than anything. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, in the message translation, it reads this, with promises like this, to pull us on, dear friends. Let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. That's the exaltation to us. That's the message to us. That's what God desires from us.
So back to my sermon title. How did we get here? A better question may be, who is Central Community Church? Who are we as a church? Central Community Church is a part of the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana. The church was form, uh, organized around 19, or 1881. The message was based of that time period, was based from this passage of Scripture, come out and be separate. It was a message of come-outism. Jesus himself said in John chapter 17 that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Isn't that what Jesus said? We are in the world, but not of the world. In other words, our citizenship may be in this country, but our, our heavenly spiritual citizenship is in heaven with God. And we are citizens of the kingdom of God. The message that the Church of God early founders wanted to proclaim and did so in various ways, in mailings and in holding meetings and everything, was come out of worldliness, come out of sectarianism, come out of denominationalism, and be the church that Jesus told his disciples when in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, he says that upon him, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the church that Jesus wants us to be. That's the church that came into existence on the day of Pentecost after Jesus had ascended into heaven. And then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, upon the followers of Christ, and the church came into existence. That's the church that the early Church of God founders wanted us to return to and wanted us to be. The heart cry of Daniel Sidney Warner and others who saw in the Scriptures what the Church of God was to be. They purposely avoided becoming just another denomination, and they called themselves a movement, a movement of God upon the hearts, upon the minds, to bear witness to the biblical mandates of unity and holiness. The early Church of God movement would bear the name the Gospel Trumpet Company to proclaim the message of what the church was to be. They formed and they settled in southwest Michigan. And there in Grand Junction, Michigan, they set up the Gospel Trumpet Company. That was there until 19 or 1898, and then it moved to West Virginia. And then after a few years, it moved to Anderson, Indiana in 1906, and it became the headquarters and the, and the offices there were built. Anderson University sits on the field, on the uh, farmland that was purchased in order to establish the Church of God, and it is still there today, along with the School of Theology. The Church of God has 2,200 congregations in North America, in the United States and Canada. They're in 90 different countries around the world, 
And it's interesting to note that there are more Church of God members or Church of God constituencies constituents outside of North America than there is in North America. That's how we are a part of the global church as we are in those countries. This last June, as we attended the Church of God convention, we actually were part of the 100th General Assembly of the Church of God. Then in 1907, churches, as they were springing up all over the country, here in Wichita, a group of people started having, having meetings together. They were cottage prayer meetings, and the Church of God became a part of the movement in 1906, 1907. 1911, it was formally recognized, and in 1917, they moved to 1201 South Market Street. And there on Market Street, as they built the church, and then there was two new sanctuaries built, and the second sanctuary was built in 1965, was dedicated in 1965. And I was a kid. And I went to that church, and I, I didn't belong to that church. I was in another church of God, but I used to run the basement of the old first church of God building. I remember being in services, and I remember especially one night that I was in service that what was being shared had, a, had an impact on my life that has had an effect in me and my spiritual relationship with Christ for all of these years. That's what the power and the message of the gospel has done throughout the years in Central Community Church. In 1978, the name was changed from First Church of God to Central Community Church of God. I was a Bible student in uh, Houston, Texas at our college there when it was located there. It's now in Oklahoma City. But I was a Bible student there And I remember the discussions that we were having about these uh, radical people that were changing the name from First Church of God to Central Community Church and how they were all going to hell because they didn't... Every church that I've pastored was named the same name, First Church of God, and that was in five different uh, congregations. But anyway... The church changed its name in 1978, and then they bought the property here on on South Maple or uh, West Maple, and there they built the church, and the church uh, came here in 1988. And for over 30 years, this church has been in this location doing ministry. I love my pastor. I believe that Pastor Bob is the man that God has called to lead us as a pastor and to lead this congregation. I'm so thankful that they would call me to serve this church as congregational care pastor. And I love the, to do life at this church with the staff, the incredible staff that God has brought together. 
I hope you know some of the staff, and I hope you know the pastors, and that, and that you, you just can appreciate all that the staff and God is doing in this place uh, through the called leaders of this church. I'm so thankful for it. I was nominated for an ESPY award for best supporting pastor in a church promotional video. Take a look behind me. Now, in my 40 years, 40 years of ministry, I thought I'd done everything and seen everything until just this last month, in, in the month of May. And I did that cannonball without a diving board, and they were so afraid that I was going to hit my head on the side of the pool. <laughs> but I love doing church here at Central Community and with the people that God has placed here and with you as well, to be able to serve this congregation and us together to be able to serve this community and serve in places all across the world. I love being a part of that. I'm thankful for that. And again, I will say, you are not here by accident. You are here because God has brought you here, and together we are going to continue to know Christ and to make him known to know Christ and to make him known in any way and every way that we can so that people will come to know Jesus and come to know who he is as their Savior, as their Lord. I'm excited for the direction that the Lord is leading, and I pray that you will continue to, to just be an encouragement, be a support, and be a part of Central Community Church. Do all that you are able to do in serving Jesus Christ. That's how we got here. And now we look forward to where God is going to lead us. Amen? Amen. May God bless you. May God be with you. And I thank again, thank you for this opportunity to share today. I'm going to turn it over to Justin, and he's going to talk to us about this month's Dollar Club. <laughs>